Managing type 1 diabetes can be difficult and challenging. Today, a management revolution is underway that can help us all live happier and healthier lives. I'm Cliff Sherb, founder of Glucose Advisors. I will be sitting down with expert guests exploring topics in the advancements of the science of diabetes management, their personal type 1 diabetes stories, and details of the latest methods to help take control of T1D. We hope these stories inspire you to take control of your diabetes, health, and well-being, learning more about the advancements that exist to live a better life. For more episodes, visit our community at glucoseadvisors.com, learn from our team of advisors, and find out more about space available in our management programs. My guest today is Amy Tendrick. It's my honor to have her on the podcast. Amy is the founder and editor of DiabetesMind.com, a leading online information destination that she launched after her diagnosis with type 1 diabetes in 2003. Diabetes Mind joined Healthline Media in 2015, where Amy now also serves as editorial director, diabetes and patient advocacy. Amy is a journalist, blogger, and nationally known patient advocate who hosts her own series of thought leadership events the annual Diabetes Mind Innovation Summit, and biannual Diabetes Mind D-Data Exchange that bring patient entrepreneurs together with the medical establishment to accelerate change. We hope you enjoy the show, and here's Amy. Welcome, Amy, to the podcast, to the Advisors Podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Um, tell us a bit more about how you got your start. Sure. Um, so I, um, I have a background in communications and I was already uh, a trained journalist um, when I was diagnosed with type 1 myself in 2003. So um, I was working at, in Silicon Valley covering technology and um, kind of on a freelance basis because I had actually just given birth to my third child and got very ill and yeah, ended up having this disease that at the time I felt like the only adult on the planet who would get this, you know, what I thought was a juvenile disease. And it really turned my world upside down. I was not given good advice in the beginning, um, given way too much insulin. I was having lows like two and three times a day in the beginning. I thought I was having a nervous breakdown. So I really decided to dive in and learn more about it myself. Ended up being one of the first people in the country to start a blog about diabetes or even to start any patient blog actually at the time. And um, the, my site got picked up in a story in the, in the Wall Street Journal early on about the fact that people were sharing their you know, disease journeys. So that was like this big leap forward in visibility, et cetera. And then, uh, gosh, the blog just ended up sort of taking over my life. So many people came forward and were you know, interested in it. And because I was already set up as a journalist and had credentials, um, I was able to go to events. So I decided in um, 2005 that I wanted to go to the ADA, the big event, which was taking place in San Diego that year. And I believe I was the first ever kind of patient <laughs> reporter to sort of infiltrate that event. Um, people were a little confused about what I was doing there in the beginning, but um, I was able to kind of blog about what is, you know, what is it like um, when these companies, you know, all these industry companies get together and sort of pitch all their stuff to physicians. And it was a little shocking to see all the fanfare around it, but it was also so eye-opening and I learned a ton. So I really started treating, you know, diabetes and particular diabetes technology as my beat kind of as a journalist and, um, you know, covering all of this stuff. And then along with that, you may know that um, a couple of years later, 
I published this open letter to Steve Jobs, which was kind of a call for the gurus of, of consumer technology to get together with the people who make medical technology and start making it better. Because clearly there was a big gap there, right? The stuff that we were being asked to use was very clunky and kind of hospital-ish versus the amazing stuff Apple was coming out with, right? So um, I never did hear back directly from Apple, but a lot of people came forward, um, including some folks from the Stanford Biodesign uh, uh, department there. And I connected with them and designers and um, just a variety of people from industry. Uh, and, you know, because that, that letter got picked up in mainstream media all over. It was in the Financial Times and Business Week did a story about designing for diabetics and um, CNET and Inc. Magazine. It kind of went viral. So um, that is kind of what got my start being this sort of catalyst for innovation. Um, and then I actually m morphed that into this uh, design challenge that we did. Um, I believe, again, it was the first ever, as far as I know, um, open innovation crowdsourcing competition that was run, you know, by a patient. I got a grant from the California Healthcare Foundation and I got a lot of like industry folks and like leading clinicians involved and JDRF was very supportive of it. So we did this, you know, we did this competition for four years and got like hundreds of submissions of people who just had cool ideas for devices, apps, programs or something to improve life with diabetes. So those, um, some of those ideas have actually come to market, maybe not exactly in their original form, but many right. of them have. And the other exciting part of that for me was that a number of the people who, um, you know, were our winners or who had participated were like graduate students at, you know, places like Northwestern and Berkeley and Pepperdine and all over. And a number of those people ended up getting jobs in the industry, you know, in the insulin pump uh, division of Medtronic, for example, et cetera. So we really were able to help place kind of a new generation of thinkers, you know, into industry, which is exciting. I was going to say, after having been through a few of your programs, uh, that this has really spawned quite a lot more innovation in and of itself. It's stacked, right? You know, you're bringing these great minds together. They're they're working to solve problems, and then they're going out and creating the products of tomorrow. And that is because of you, which is pretty fantastic. Thank you. Well, I can't take all the credit, but it was really. I mean, again, I think every advocate want you know wants to help in some way with whatever skills they bring to the table. So you work a lot on, you know, on sports and athletics, right? And, you know, pe some people do, you know, other all kinds of things to support people with diabetes sisters who support women. Um, for me, you know, my expertise is in reporting on technology and also, you know, bringing people together. So, you know, the idea was really to, we, so after four years, we morphed that contest idea into this innovation event series and the idea was let's get a forum together of like the leaders from these different groups who at the time never spoke to each other so you know you had the people who were like you know the executives from the big pharma and med tech companies you've got the regulatory people obviously fda um you've got leading clinicians and then you've got all this kind of burgeoning group of patient leaders people who have big voices and and actually you know a lot of following on social media um, and who have a lot to say about what patients really need and hadn't really had a chance to, you know, connect directly with all these powers that be. So it was our idea to try to enable that through these events. 
And yeah, it's been really exciting. I mean, we've seen people, like I said, getting hired. We've seen pilot programs get kicked off because of the connections made. Um, and, you know, things like advisory boards getting put together, um, you know, a lot of tangible stuff, which is really, um, to me, again, really exciting. It makes me feel like that's the way that I can contribute. I think it's great. And I think it's pretty wild to find, right, you've got the Samsons and the Goliaths getting together, right? And you're putting them in the same room and the patients are now suddenly saying, this is what we want. And, uh, you know, they, they have more voice and it was, you know, part of this hashtag, you know, movement, uh, uh, we are not yeah, waiting. Yeah, the we are not waiting hashtag, yeah, which yeah. actually came out of, so So we did, to, to give you a little background, we did the first Diabetes Mind Innovation Summit at Stanford School of Medicine in 2011. So we did that a couple of years. And then in a couple of years later in 2013, um, we realized that there was kind of this upsurge of like do-it-yourselfers that we were starting to hear about as you know, in the beginning, it was mainly some D dads, right? Some diabetes dads out there who are very technology savvy, who said, you know, I can just, I'm gonna take this and, you know, reverse engineer the protocol on this device and I'm gonna connect it to my big screen TV so we can see my child's glucose and doing all these things. And we thought, you know, let, let's bring some of these people to physically together so they can share. Um, so we got this sort of classroom across from the big hall where we usually do the big summit. It was like a pre-day, we called it the D data exchange. It was kind of like a play on words too, because we say we put the word change in a different color. So exchange, like we're changing things. Um, anyway, it was a huge hit and, you know, way more people showed up than we expected. And it became really clear that there was a, a need and a desire for people to connect like that. And then also to bring those people together, as you say, with the, with the kind of big guns. And um, I'm particularly um, grateful actually about for FDA because people said initially, oh, you'll never get them to participate in something like this, that they'll be in a room and they have to hear people talking about off-label use and the, you know, all the different, they can't be in front of all the different uh, companies. But in fact, um, they have been very candid and very collaborative with us. And um, as you know, Courtney Elias and Stacey Beck even won an award for their championing of um, artificial pancreas technology. You know, they would they come to all of our events and give an update on their innovation pathways. Um, so it was really great because I think, you know, early on, everyone was pointing the fingers at FDA as being the roadblock for everything. And it turns out they really weren't, or at least they weren't the only roadblock. There is quite, quite an olive branch that was extended right through this this program that you've been putting together. And I think that that actually opened up a bit the floodgates for more innovation and for at least a more transparency on, hey, here's what needs to happen first and a more hand in hand, you know, working experience rather than, okay, that you're clearly the bad guy, you're the bad guy and we're not gonna open up here. So I, I again, kudos, it's just so cool uh, to see that happen. Uh, you know, uh, what, what do you think um, are some of the most, um, the biggest problems that we still face with type one as we see these innovations coming through uh, in management today? Because clearly we're solving problems here, but we still have some ways to go on some things. Yeah, well, that to me, it's comp it's totally clear. It's It's two issues that are ongoing and, you know, aren't going to get cleared up anytime soon, but we're working on both of them. It's usability and it's accessibility. So um, we, you know, the Diabetes Mind events started out with this whole campaign around usability. Like these things aren't designed for life. They're not comfortable enough. They're too difficult. They're, they're actually creating more burden instead of less. So we talk, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about design and how to 
um, connect with patients in real life and find out, you know, um, you know what they really want and how to sort of simplify the use. And I think there's still a ways to go on that. But clearly, access is, you know, without access, you've got nothing, right? If, if only it's only going to be some small elite group that can ever use these tools, then we're not accomplishing anything important here. So, you know, and that has kind of blown up in recent years with the insulin pricing crisis, you know, and, and I, I was on a uh, panel recently about COVID and diabetes. And, you know, people always ask, what's the biggest issue facing people with diabetes? And I said, ah, you know, if, if we can't afford our medications that keep us alive, we have nothing to talk about the conversation ends there. So, you know, that has to get solved. And that is something that, you know, it's, it's big, it's complex, it's got a lot of players, you know, and at least it's come to the top now where there, I think there's a lot of national recognition that this is a real issue. So, I mean, I wish I had a better solution for that, but, um, yeah. you know, I'm just saying, I know that I work on stuff that's, you know, very cutting edge and that not everyone has access to yet, but I believe in my heart that this stuff will trickle down and it is important to continue with innovation because eventually, you know, CGM will become just as, you know, commonplace as having a finger stick meter is today, you know, or, or was initially. Um, and I think it's really going to change people's lives. But, you know, we're constantly talking about those two issues and access, um, you know, that's going to be in our June event this year. One of the big topics is what is being done, what concrete steps are being taken to assure that as these new closed loop systems come out and all the new CGM technology that people can, you know, more people can get access to them affordably. Yeah. Yeah. It's every time there's a, a change of the guards with uh, presidencies, I often wonder what kind of insurance coverage I'm going to have as a, you know, a small business owner and somebody who has to get his own insurance. I often wonder, you know, what, what's going to be the change. And that's a lot of stress for a lot of people. And so, yeah, I agree with you. That's still a problem that we, we do want to address and, and the costs are clearly there. It's expensive to, to uh, you know, operate all the equipment we're talking about. But at the end of the day, we're going to live better lives uh, if we can get this right uh, at this point. So I, I agree right. with you. So what would you say is something that, because you have the pulse pretty much of a lot of great people in diabetes in the space. And what do you think is something that every type one diabetic should know to manage your diabetes better? Uh, because it's it, clearly there's a lot of information that is thrown at us that we can look at. So, and I know it's not an easy question to answer. So you got to just. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a, thank you so much for saying I have the pulse. I mean, honestly, I feel like I'm a convener of people and they're the people who are, I really need to give the credit to the people who are out there doing the work, you know, the tide pools of the world, you know, Dana Lewis and Scott LeBrand, um, Pete Schwamm, uh, you know, uh, God, the name, the many names, uh, Ben West, who was involved from early days. I mean, these are the people who are doing the amazing work. And, uh, you know, I just, my job, as I see it, is to bring these people together and make sure we talk, talk about the right things, you know, the, in the right way. Um, so I, I wanted to make sure I put that out there. Um, gosh, in terms of things everyone with type 1 needs to know, I really honestly feel that if you are not yet using a CGM as a type 1, you're really missing out. Um, and, you know, it's, I almost feel like it's unconscionable now for a physician to treat someone with type one and not insist that, you know, or not tr try to help them get a CGM because it is so life-changing. You know, it was primitive in the beginning. I used the early systems and they did create a lot of burden. I would say today, like, I can't even imagine, 
not having a sense of, um, you know, <laughs> what's going on in your body. And we were talking before this um, recording about working out. And I was saying, I know a number of people who said, oh, I just don't work out anymore because it's too scary. I'm going to go low. And I thought that that's not only sad, but it's kind of terrible. Like it's really important to be able to feel that you can be physically active and without being able to see. And, I, you know, it's trial and error, obviously, like I have certain workouts that I've done over and over again. So you start to get a sense, but you never know. There's that odd day when all of a sudden, you know, it, I'm on a spin bike and I'm crashing, you know, and I wouldn't have seen that coming if I didn't have the CGM. So, I mean, I think that's huge. The other thing for me personally, and I, I think that, you know, the direction that we're going is, you know, we all know that precision carb counting is kind of BS. Like it's really difficult. And if you rest all of your hopes on that, like you're just going to be so frustrated all the time. So, you know, I would say let go of that a little bit, like do the best you can. Um, that's one area that had, for me, I had to change my mindset. I've been using Afresia, the inhalable insulin for my bolus needs for quite a while. And it doesn't, you know, you're not thinking about numbers of units the way we do with liquid insulin. It's these colored cartridges and you sort of have to guesstimate. And that was really scary for me in the beginning, but then you start to get a little bit of a sense like, oh, this is kind of a green cartridge meal versus a blue cartridge meal. <laughs> and it kind of helps you. I mean, it also took a lot of pressure off of me to say, oh my God, is this 32 carbs or is this 42 carbs, you know, and, and feeling like I was always failing. So I do right. think that this technology is also going to help us let go of that in the future and, you know, not have that pressure to do all this and crazy math. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. It, it's nice to see some of the looping systems mop up in the background behind, you know, not getting this perfect carb or protein or fat count down. So, right. Yeah. That, that, that is definitely That's the other thing that, it'll, yeah, exactly. Because you have the system that can continually adjust. You don't have to be, so concerned that you get every unit of carb correctly, you know? Yeah, so. exactly. So in, in all the different uh, people and companies that you come across, you know, what are your most favorite innovations that have happened in the past year and, or two? And what would you say uh, we can expect and be excited about maybe in the next year or two? Well, there's, I mean, none of these things have just popped up only in the last year. Like it's always kind of a evolution getting there. But to me, I would see two of the most exciting areas are um, something we've been talking about for quite a while is this kind of marriage of um, data-driven care and um, kind of real-life coaching. So a lot of the companies, um, as you know, um, you know, OneDrop, Gluco, MySugar, um, there's this uh, virtual uh, clinic that I've been working with called Steady Health out of San Francisco that also does this. And I, to me, it's the perfect marriage. So I have got an app. Um, you know, I have they, I have someone who I know is sort of following my CGM numbers and can help me um, make sense of that and can give me suggestions based on that. So there's that technology side of it. But then I also have access to actually ask questions and be in touch with a, a real educator or physician through technology where I don't have to drive in anywhere. And, you know, to me, I think that's kind of the magic combination. And all of those systems are only getting better and more comprehensive. And a lot of them are now starting to recognize, you know, not recognize, but also sort of um, expand their services to help people with other health issues they might have. So, you know, we're, we're not all just glucose numbers, right? We all, some of us have complications or we have other health issues that we need help with as well. And so if that can be combined, then you don't have to have all these separate apps and programs and logins and different doctors. And, you know, so again, simplifying things for people, um, you know, is, is huge. 
So, so that's one area that I'm super excited about. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that as, you know, COVID has pushed this virtual care to the forefront. Um, you know, there's just a ton of work being done to improve on these systems. Um, and then the other thing in terms of just devices, obviously, um, smart insulin pens, which also seems like almost kind of overdue. I mean, we've been talking about this for years, but I think we're really getting to a point where, um, you know, an insulin pen is a sophisticated device that actually helps you, that you can use an insulin pen. You do not have to be a pumper to take advantage of sort of data driven care. And that's really great for a lot of people, I think. Yeah, I, I think that is a good solution as well. I don't think that people, again, have made that leap to say, oh, a pen would be something that I could do there. They, they like their silo of how they do their management and they're not always willing to step outside the box. But I do think that if you want to see better results, you, you have to from time to time dip your toe into some of these technologies and methods that are out there. Yeah, well, the way I see it is, I mean, there are a lot of people using dumb insulin pens right now, and how much better off would they be if they had a smart insulin pen that can connect and do other things, right? Yeah. And then there are a number of people who are sort of step, don't want to touch the technology at all because they think that means they have to become a pumper right away. And, you know, there are a lot of people who are still hesitant to do that or, you know, can't access it for whatever reason. So this gives them an onboard into having a system that actually records, you know, God, for God's sake, it should at least record your your dosing so you know what you did, you know, um, and being able to keep track of, of your, you know, your glucose numbers alongside your your doses. I mean, that's really basic stuff. Um, so I'm yeah, just I glad that, you know. Yeah, it just reminds me of when I was first growing up and trying to remember shots that I took hours and hours ago. In fact, I don't I think that I thought, you know, uh, I, oh, let's let's take a whole nother shot and a shot and a shot again, like I do today with my pump, because there's or at least there's a record of it back then. Record, it was, I know. You know, oh my gosh, I better. I mean, yeah, things like crazy now that you wouldn't. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the one thing with, um, with the Freja, and they, they are working on a device, but right now you don't have that. So, it, you know, there's definitely been times where I asked my family, did I use my inhaler uh, or was that this morning? You know, it's, you have to remember, it's hard. So um, I think, you know, even just for yeah, record keeping and then being able to, you know, as we know, the only real way to, you know, tweak your activities to optimize your blood sugar control is to kind of learn what you've done, learn from what you've done in the past, right? Trial and error. So you want to, you know, and, and I know Tidepool was talking about this for a lot of years when they had that nutshell app back in the day, you know, you have a certain burrito that let's say you eat three times a week for lunch and, you know, you want to keep that record. So you say, oh, okay, if I have, you know, it generally raises me this much, or if I take, you know, a certain unit account or I use the green cartridge, I know what kind of result I'm going to get. And you only get that from recording what you did. And nobody wants to have to do what they used to tell diabetics to do is spend all this time writing, you know, you're not going to write written records or even in, you know, manually inputting data. People are not going to do that over time and they shouldn't have to. There's yeah. no need for it. So, you know. Yeah, it's, it's too much. It's too much work. And uh, already everybody wants to just have the opposite, which is I don't want to even think about it. So right. actually getting people to record information has to be completely passive and, uh, and it has to work that way. Uh, I, I can remember. Yeah, I, I mean, I think what's really important is the recognition finally by the powers that be that um, not wanting to do all that is not laziness on the part of patients. It's Fair. just life. And it, you know, it was always a little bit of this finger wagging, like these non-compliant patients that we told them what to do. And if they would just follow the instructions, it would all be perfect. Well, guess what? No, that's not how it works. Even if you wrote down everything perfectly, <laughs> you know, you're, I mean, yeah, diabetes is unpredictable. But the only real way, you know, they always say you can't, you know, 
you can't succeed with something if you can't measure it, right? Yep. So we need to be able to measure it in a way, and we've got the technology to keep track of all this stuff for us. So, you know, let's take advantage of it. And, and right now, we're, you know, a lot of these newer systems are operating on the instantaneous and, and some information that it's getting and trying to project into the future. But I, I do think we'll see systems and algorithms that are much better at forecasting uh, based on history, health history, uh, you know, activity level, nutrition, stress. I mean, all that is going to be so much more, so much less variable in what our outcomes are. And uh, it's exciting. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's so important that we have start to have not only a sense of where we've been, but where we're going. And I wanted to say I'm I'm also using the um, open uh, the Omnipod Loop, so the homemade version of Loop with the Omnipod pump. And my favorite thing about it, I mean, as you said, it has this background. You know, it's continually tweaking me so that um, I don't need to be so precise in my dosing. So that's great. But the other favorite thing about it is that it has this screen that says um, that basically predicts where you're going, like eventually. So I can see, okay, if I did take my, um, you know, breakfast dose and I'm at 182, like, oh, I'm still kind of high. Do I need to correct? Well, it tells me I'm at eventually 122. So I say, okay, I'm, I'm already going there. So I don't need, you know, so I won't stack. I won't, you know, and I mean, it's just a, an amazing tool to be able to have some sense of where you're going, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. Just at the flick of a wrist on the Apple Watch, I, I run the same system and it's, uh, it's just fun to know with a little more confidence, you can go and do something or can't do something, for instance. So, uh, you know, the, yeah. the dosing strategies will get more advanced right now. We're very locked into one prescriptive kind of dosing schedule, but in the future, I think you'll see it'll match endogenously lifestyles more directly without having to, you know, uh, visit your endocrinologist all the time. And, and yeah, I mean, you and I are clearly enjoying the benefits of it. We hope more people can get into it, I'm sure. Um, yeah, and eventually, I mean, this is further down the line, but eventually having glucagon built into a pump as well so that you ha actually have the counteract act to, you know, so you don't have to be carrying around, you know, my purse is full of, you know, raisins and gummies and, you know, all kinds of stuff. They, you know, I'm, I'm the only person. That's, that's my go-to. Yeah, I mean, it's stuffed in my glove compartment. My, you know, my nightstand has sugar on it. It's, you know, I, we won't have to live like that so much anymore, which is, which is a great thing to look forward to. Yeah, <laughs> that know? is a great thing to look forward to. We, that was actually one of the questions from our community that came through was, you know, what, what diabetes equipment uh, do you personally recommend these days? Uh, if you can go out on a limb and say, because you, I know you work with a lot of different companies, but yeah, well, I mean, like I said, I think CGM is like essential, you know, we've done a lot of little like in impromptu um, surveys and asking if people had to give stuff up and they would, most people said they'd give up their pump before they'd give up their CGM because yeah. the CGM is so vital to know what's going on. And you can use, as you said, you can use another method to get the insulin in, but you know, CGM compared to old finger stick meter is just light years away. So um, so, you know, I, I don't mind saying that I've been a Dexcom user since literally the first Dexcom 7 came out and, you know, I'm, I'm super happy with the system. Um, I'm currently, like, I always try everything I can, so um, I'm currently both using the, the loop with Omnipod and, as I mentioned, also um, uh, inhalable insulin. Um, uh, and I do use the Steady Health app. I mean, I would definitely recommend using some kind of system that, as I mentioned, that, that combines, um, you know, your record keeping with um, some kind of support system. Yep. And there are many great ones. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, those to me are kind of the essentials. And so you use Fiasp for bolusing for meal, or sorry, do you use Fiasp? I was gonna ask you in that setup. I know you've got your inhaler. No, I'm using, um, just, I just happen to have Novolog in my um, Novolog. in my pump. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I but had... I know a lot of people have, have switched to like a combination of like the inhalable insulin and then um, Tugeo or, you know, one of the like mid acting um, or even with Fiasp sometimes. So yeah. yeah, some people have had good success with that, you know. Yeah, there's some nice um, combinations that you can put together. I think it depends on your diet and, and you know, your personal preference for stuff. But I, I think. Yeah, for me, um, I ha hesitate to give up pumping because I got a little bit, um, and it may be just psychological, but I got a little bit like um, dependent on this notion of being able to sort of dial back my basal. So because I do a lot of workouts, like it just gives me so much comfort knowing that I can say, oh, I'm going to do a temp basal now and, and you know, 90% less for two hours or whatever. And, and you know, that's we, something that I'm hesitant to give up, you know. Yeah, we spend a lot of time in our program teaching people the three hours out steps, you know, if you're on MBI or a loop or a pump and, you know, what you should be thinking about what juncture and eating and, you know, how much insulin on board you could actually even support to even start an activity is really important. And I, I think that's something in, in the future we want to see more, you know, people have the freedom and flexibility, right? And just the stuff that you're yeah. thinking about. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I could probably use one of your sessions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we'll have to. It's always good to optimize, right? Yeah. Let's let's get you on board. And try it out. Absolutely. So, any of do you, do you think? Um, first of all, when's our next uh, uh, exchange? Uh, I'm excited. Thank you for asking. It is um, planned for June 18th. Uh, okay. It's a Friday. Okay. Um, we it's going to be online because that's where the world is right now. And then the, the fall event for us is going to be in early November um, again, and probably at least partially online. We have to sort of see where the pandemic takes us. Yeah. yeah I was going to ask if we could be in person, that'd be lovely, but we'll keep our fingers. Yeah. Straight. A lot of, a lot of places are talking about like hybrids where there might be some portion of it that is in person. It really depends on what the venues are allowed to do at that point, like what the restrictions are. Does it make sense to bring people together if they if we can only have, you know, a very limited number of people and they all have to sit really far apart? I'm not sure that makes a lot of sense, you know, then we might be better off doing it online. And I have to say there have been some advantages of doing a virtual event. We could cast a wider net in terms of, you know, speakers who would be able to join us and, and also in terms of inviting people. We we had a bigger contingency of like patients from the DIY community than ever before. Um, and that was really cool for the November 2020 event. Um, there were people, DIYers from all over the world, and they connected on the on this platform. And at the end of our, um, you know, formal sessions, we said, okay, we're letting people stay on for sort of like a virtual networking. And a group of people stayed on for a very long time afterward, like an hour and a half talking to each other and ended up um, organizing some kind of monthly virtual meetups for that group. And it was really cool because there was like people from Italy and like the Czech Republic and then all over the U.S. Um, who were connecting through that. So, um, you know, that's where doing virtual events actually has has some great advantages. You know, I, I can see a spinoff, Amy, uh, of a matchmaking service of some sort. <laughs> well, I've tried that <laughs> in the past. <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, they. Thanks for all that you do for the type one diabetes community, for bringing people together, for, for bringing us the latest uh, information on what's out there and just um, making making things happen, really. And uh, that's why I wanted to have you on is I, I think it's just very exciting uh, 
the way that you bring people together and, and the way that your online programs have just really touched a lot of people here. So um, how can people get involved? Uh, how can they reach you and uh, certainly get involved with the exchange coming up? Um, what's the best way to reach you? Okay, uh, thank you for asking. Um, we do have like an, a form people can fill out if they are interested in getting an invitation to the event. I can share that URL with you afterwards, but Great. they can also reach us just at info at diabetesmind.com. Um, you know, if they have questions or if someone, again, these are generally invitation only events. Um, we ask people to give a little bit of background about themselves and, you know, why they're, in other words, um, you know, they're, they're leadership events. So it's not necessarily something that's for every parent of a type one who's new to diabetes. This is really more for people who are like hands-on involved in creating the innovations. Yep. So if you're someone who is somehow, you know, deeply involved in DIY um, development, or you have an app of your own, or you run a program or something like that, um, then, you know, we're very happy to include you. So we ask people to just kind of give us a little background on themselves and why they're interested in attending. Awesome, awesome. Well, listen, thank you, Amy, so much for taking the time to meet with me and uh, just best of luck to you the rest of this year. And uh, thanks again for being on the podcast. My pleasure. And thank you for doing this podcast. It's awesome. Thanks for listening to the Glucose Advisors podcast. For more episodes, visit our community at glucoseadvisors.com. Learn from our team of advisors and find out more about space available in our programs. Head on over to Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you find your podcast to rate, subscribe, or leave a review. Until next time, take control, stay inspired, and live a better life with T1D.